Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's been talking to the disciples and he's been telling them. Um, he's been kind of saying the same thing over and over again in as many different ways as he can so that we'll get it. And he's repeating himself over and over because he knows we don't always catch stuff the first time, right? <laughs> I don't ever catch stuff the first time. I miss stuff all the time. Okay. And, uh, but he also knows that he's going to die in the next 24 hours. And so this is the, you guys get ready. And so he's preparing them. And um, it's kind of like the whole, you know, you have your expectations about something and you think it's going to be a certain way. And somebody says, don't get your hopes up. And as soon as they say, don't get your hopes up, it's kind of like right there is kind of your moment of disappointment, right? Because you're kind of like, oh, don't get my hope. Like that, that's where it enters into your mind that it might not be as great as you're expecting it to be whatever it is. Um, the other way that happens is, you know, sometimes this will happen with a movie. Oh man, this is the best movie ever. Sometimes it happens with food. Oh, this is the best cheeseburger you will ever eat. I mean, it's incredible. It'll change your life. You get extra loco on it. You'll just change, blow your mind. It's so good. And then you eat it and it just got so oversold that you're like, I mean, it was really good, but my life is not changed by a hamburger, right? Well, Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples. And in John 16, 1, he says, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. Whenever you read something like that, I've said these things, you immediately want to stick your finger in the Bible and hold your spot and flip back like three pages. Because everything, he said these things to keep you from falling away. What things? And you want to go back and review it. So today I'm going to preach all on John 15 all over again. No, no. These things, he said all of John 15. And he said all of John 14 to help the disciples not fall away. Because they have their expectation of what the Messiah is going to do, what the Savior is going to do, what the Son of God is going to do. They have these expectations, and in about 24 hours, He's going to be dead, buried, and the whole party is just going to be off and done, as far as they're concerned. For years, probably three years, every time they've had a question, Jesus was right there, and they could say, Hey, Jesus... Who sinned? Who sinned that this guy was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Even when they're in the boat and Jesus is asleep in a boat and there's a storm, they can wake Jesus up and they say, hey, don't you even care if we die? There's a storm. We're, we're about ready to sink. But starting tomorrow, basically 24 hours from when he's having this dinner, Jesus isn't going to be there for them to ask. And they're going to be in the worst situation ever because the, the Pharisees and the Romans are going to kill Jesus. And they're going to be stuck in this spot where they, the one person they turn to for the last three years to ask every single question you could ever want to ask is going to be gone. And that is going to be a high time for them to fall away, for them to give up, for them to say, gosh, now we got nothing. This is all a big joke. It's over. 
and he's trying to prepare them. So think about what he said. I said all these things to keep you from falling away. In John 15, he said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. So he told us that if we rest in Jesus, if we rest in him, we'll bear fruit in our lives. And he told us that so we wouldn't fall away when he's gone, right? When he's killed. In John 14, he said, this is where we have John 14, 6. I'm the way and the truth and the life. The only way to come to the Father is through me. He said that so that we wouldn't fall away when he dies on the cross. He's the only way to God the Father. He is the source of all life. Don't forget that when I'm crucified here in two days. is basically what he's saying tomorrow. Then he goes on to verse 2. And he tells him, here's kind of what's going to happen. Here's how bad it's going to get. He's already talked about being betrayed. He's talked a long, longer time ago about dying and raising from the dead. Now he's telling the disciples what's going to happen to them. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father or me. But I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you'll remember that I told you. He's preparing the disciples directly. You guys are going to be persecuted. Every single one of the the 11 apostles that were left would die as a martyr except for one. Only one of them, uh, the apostle John, would die of old age. Every one of them would be martyred. James was thrown off a roof. Uh, Thomas was keel-hauled, like they threw him off the front of a boat, but had him tied to a rope, so he'd get, basically get beat up by the bottom of the boat. I mean, it's, it's terrible, all the ways they died. All because they were following Jesus. So Jesus is saying to them, people are going to kill you, and they'll think that they're serving God. They will think they're doing a service to God by killing you, But they didn't know God and they didn't know me. So as that's going on, again, I'm telling you these things so you won't fall away, so you won't stumble. At no point will they be killed. Jesus doesn't want them to be martyred and to think for a second, gosh, maybe those guys are right and I'm wrong and I shouldn't have followed Jesus. Because after all, they're the Pharisees or they're the church council or they're... Uh, you know, whatever power they have. They're going to think that they're serving God. And Jesus is saying, they don't know me. They don't know God. And they think that they're serving. So he's trying to encourage them, even as they're going to get martyred. If you ever want to read just a a wild book, um, there's an older version called Fox's Book of the Martyrs. And it's a history book of martyrs that were killed for following Jesus. And it's real gruesome and horrible. Uh, There's a more modern version that's a little bit um, easier to read in that it's it's just the way they tell it. And it's a little more modern language. And it's called Jesus Freaks. And um, it's people that died as martyrs. Some of them in ancient times, like in 300. uh, Stephen, the first martyr, is even in there. 
but then some others in the 600s and some in the 1500s and then some even in the 1900s and the 2000s. Well, it was published in 1900, in 1999, so nobody in the 2000s. But um, martyrdom is still a real thing. There's still people being tortured, threatened, and all this stuff. And so when Jesus is saying this, he wasn't just talking to the disciples. He wasn't just encouraging them, follow me. The people that, that kill you and make you into martyrs, they don't know God and they don't know me. He wasn't just encouraging them. He was encouraging the thousands of people that maybe 5,000 people in, in the 1400s that died at the Spanish Inquisition, where the church at the time thought that they were, were flo- getting rid of the infidels and getting rid of all these lost people and killing them off. In 1553, this is something crazy, John Calvin had Michael Servetus burned at the stake because of his wrong belief in the Trinity. So John Calvin had, had uh, for the record, John Calvin said that he would prefer that, that Michael Servetus would be beheaded, but the church council chose to burn him at the stake instead. So when Jesus is saying, people are going to kill you for following Jesus, He's talking all the way through all the future, not just these guys. But he, said, he also says in that, but they didn't know the Father and they didn't know me. Because if you look through all of Jesus' teaching, all of Jesus' teaching, nowhere does he ever say to kill anybody for wrongdoing. Isn't that wild? Jesus never says that. Um, He says quite the opposite in a lot of places. And at the end in the book of Revelation, yes, he has a sword. Yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is all kinds of of wrath poured out. But that is not for the disciples to do. That's not for people that follow Jesus to do. That's for Jesus and his angels to do. Isn't that wild? So he's he's given this encouragement to them. You guys, he's saying... He's still still sitting around the table. They're still eating. And he's, you know, had this moment of despair. And they were all sad that somebody's going to get betrayed. He starts teaching again. And then he comes back to, you guys, it's going to get really, really hard. But don't worry. I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to give up at all of the stuff I taught you. Then he goes on to say, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Remember, he was right there face to face. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. What he's, he's saying, see, Jesus, he loves us so much. And he loves these disciples so much. He's trying to tell them, you got to be, you got to be a part of me to bear fruit. But all kinds of bad stuff is going to happen because you're a part of me. But, so I had a, a mentor one time and, 
I'm asking him some Bible questions, and I'm asking him some things, and he's like, okay, well, now this thing we can talk about, but we can only talk about it face to face. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't want to blow your mind over the telephone and not see your facial expressions to see if you're understanding what I'm talking about. Because it's not just facts. It's not just learning stuff. Jesus really cares about the disciples and he really wants them to, to know what he's saying. So that's why it kind of skips around here. He says he's going to go to the Father. And if he goes, the Holy Spirit will come. See, God can't dwell with sin. No sin can be in God's presence. And so that's why all through the Old Testament, you see sometimes the Holy Spirit would come down upon a person and then it would leave. Because it couldn't get in their inmost being because in their inmost being was sin. No sacrifice could take that away. It could cover it up. It could hide it, but it wouldn't take it away. Jesus is going to die on the cross and he's going to take away sin. And once sin is taken away, the Holy Spirit can dwell in people. And that's what he's talking about. So I'm going to go away. The Holy Spirit's going to come and and I'll send him. And when he comes, this is verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin... Because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Right here, Jesus is laying out, here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to be in you. And he's going to convict the world of sin. So sin... When the Bible talks about sin, it's not talking about me stealing hubcaps. It's talking about that force and that power in me that drives me to steal hubcaps, to take a hubcap, to to commit the sin. That's what Cain and Abel, uh, God said, sin is crouching and wants to devour you and eat you. Sin wants to get you, not lying, cheating, stealing, But this force behind it wants to get you. So Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict people because they didn't believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you know that sin is wrong. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's even Paul. He says, people that don't believe, I don't hold them up to the same measure. I don't hold them to the same rule because they don't even know. If you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus, you don't want to do things against him, right? The Holy Spirit's going to convict the world in terms of righteousness. And Jesus says, righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And that seems like it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so righteousness is the state of being right. You ready? This will solve every household dispute ever. God has made you right all the time. (laughs) Okay, don't take that out of context. Um, God has made you right before God. So that when God looks at you, he goes, that's right. You are all right. Yes, Jesus has made you right. And so you can be with God. 
And when you come to God and you say, God, I love you. What's God say? Yes, you're right. That's right. That's the right thing to do. That's doing things in Christ. When we do things in Christ, we're right. We're righteous. We're right. And Jesus is going to the Father. Remember I said no no sin can dwell with God. No man, since Adam and Eve gave it up, no person can stand before God. And so Jesus is going to God. And if Jesus is going to God, then that means he's right. And if everything Jesus said is right... Flip back one, I can believe in him and have victory over sin, right? They, they stack on each other. And then finally, because of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, everybody realizes that this guy was right. He really was the son of God. And the one we've been following ever since, the devil, was wrong. And that's where people have judgment to realize Adam and Eve, they, they set us on this bad path and God has come back to set us right. So then he goes on. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them. Isn't that wild? Like Jesus, it's the last supper. He's got all this stuff to say. He's trying to convince them. And then he says, there's a whole lot more stuff I got to tell you guys. But I just can't. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to tell you that the Spirit of truth comes. He'll guide you into all truths. He won't speak with his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So he's just emphasizing the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all together. I don't want to mess up on the Trinity because I don't want to get burned at the stake. But that's all in there. And Jesus is trying to convince them. Yes, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and it's just like talking to me. He talks a little bit more about going away, and then skip down to verse 23. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. So when the Holy Spirit comes, you're not going to ask Jesus for anything. What? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father... In my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. So up till now, the disciples haven't prayed and asked for anything in Jesus' name. Because Jesus was standing there. And they could say, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? Hey, Jesus, don't you care that we die in this storm? Hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They could ask Jesus everything because he was right there. So they never said, I come to you in Jesus' name, or God, tell me this on behalf of Jesus, because Jesus was right there. So now everything's going to get a little bit more complicated, because Jesus, who they've been able to see and touch smell and be with isn't going to be there physically. And Jesus says that's okay. The Holy Spirit's going to come and then you can ask the Father things directly. He says, ask the Father in my name and he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you will receive and your joy may be full. See, just like, you know, um, sometimes I'll, we'll be at a thing, a family event, and somebody will ask a question and one of my kids will answer. And I'll be like, that was a good answer. That's my, that's my girl. That's my boy. And it's like they just answered that like one of the Sullivans would answer it. Yes. Or some, something will go on and somebody will compliment and they'll be like, who made this cake? And my wife will be like, I made the cake. And I'm like, yes, that's my wife right there. Yes, the Sullivans. We did it. We did this. I think that's the closest we can experience to this concept of in my name or in in my ways. You know, Jesus says, do this in my name. It's, I'm going to do it just like I'm a part of Jesus. Like I'm making a decision on behalf of Jesus. Oh, here we go. So I'm at work and the uh, the cable guy comes and needs access to the to the back gizmo on the house and all that stuff, right? When my kids act in my authority and they say to the cable man who's like 50, right? Big dude, strong. This didn't happen. I'm making this hypothetical. But still, when my kids say, "No, we don't have cable TV." How can my 11-year-old boss around some 50-year-old man at the front door? Because he's acting in my name. He's acting in my authority, in my, as a part of my family. My 11-year-old can tell the 50-year-old cable guy, stay out of my backyard. And what happens? That guy better listen, right? Otherwise, the one in whose name the 11-year-old spoke will come home from work. And there will be an event. (laughs) Jesus is saying, when you ask for things in my name, you're you're speaking like you're a part of me. Like you're a part of my life. Like you're a part of my family. Like you're a part of my authority. And when you ask the Father things like that, He'll answer. And your joy will be full. Full joy doesn't come... It's kind of weird... I'm kind of entertained by the Powerball. And every time I drive by that Powerball sign and I see those numbers, I'm like, that's crazy. This is like $600 million. And I'm always telling the kids, what? how much money is that? I don't buy lottery tickets. I think it's wrong. I think it's all messed up. But I still talk about it a whole lot, right? I don't pray, God, help me win the lottery. Because I don't think that's in his authority. I don't think that's in line. And I think if I did pray that and I did even win it, I don't think I would have full joy. This ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Like I might be really happy, but I don't know that that deep, joyful soul thing would happen. But when I ask Jesus, when I ask God for something that I know that's in his authority and in his will, and it happens... That's when I have the full joy. Does that make sense? That's when that deeper level of joy happens. And I, you know, I'm not a millionaire yet. That's how prayer is. That's how the real joyful, deep, close to Jesus prayer is. I'm going to ask for stuff that's in line with what Jesus wants right now. And I'm going to watch him fulfill those things.
Verse 25, Jesus says, I've said these things in figures of speech. I've been speaking in parables. But the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. God himself loves you. God himself wants to answer your prayers. You don't have to, you don't have to go to Jesus and be like nervous and, and oh, I hope I'm not praying for the wrong thing. And I hope you don't strike me with lightning because I asked to win the lottery or because I prayed for uh, the Colts to win. Or, you know, we don't have to be afraid of what we pray for. It'll say, the Apostle Paul will write later that when we pray for something and we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit actually interprets it into the right thing. So, you know, if you've ever heard a baby talk and the baby says, and you're like, I have no idea what that is. How awesome would it be if you just knew? And you were like, oh, they want their bottle. Oh, their diaper's full, right? That's how we are with the Holy Spirit and God. We can pray stuff when we don't know what to pray. We can pray things when we think we're supposed to pray for this. We don't have to be afraid that God's going to be like, oh, that is not what you should have prayed for, but okay, I'll give it to you. The Holy Spirit interprets it to be the right thing before God. And the Father, verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believe that I came from God. If you ever wondered if Jesus loves you, if God loves you and cares about you, here it is. Jesus said it to the disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus said it over dinner. And he meant it for them and he meant it for all of us. And he wants to answer our prayers. He wants us to pray for stuff that he wants, but he wants to answer our prayers. He says, I came from the Father, I've come into the world, now I'm leaving and going. And the disciples get it. Or they think they do. And they say in verse 29, oh, now you're speaking plainly. Now we get it. And, you know, Jesus, like I said, he's not concerned that they get all the facts right. He just really wants them to believe and to hold on in belief. And so they go a little bit overboard. And then he says, hey, hey, listen, you guys, I know you get it. That's great. But the the hour is coming when you're going to get scattered each to your own home and you're going to abandon me. (laughs) So they go back. He goes from trying to assure them so that they won't fall away. They all get real excited. We're assured. We got it. We understand. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you do. But like I said, you're all going to get scattered. Remember the, remember, chapter 16, verse 1? He didn't have numbers, but remember what I, this whole conversation started? Bad stuff is going to happen. People are going to kill you and think they're serving God. Don't fall away. I don't want you to fall away. 
He says, everybody's going to go to their own home. You'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. How bold is it of Jesus the night before he dies at the Last Supper when his betrayer has already left he's so powerful and he's so bold to tell them I have already overcome the world. I've already taken over. He's already taken over because his betrayer that's a servant of Satan and is going to turn him into the Pharisees so that they'll kill him. Jesus knew he was going to do it, called his bluff and said, okay, go do it. Go on. I will grant you permission to go persecute me. Wow. He's already known who's going to fall away. He said to Peter, Peter, uh, it says in one of the other gospels, The devil has asked to sift you like wheat. So, Peter, this is Jesus talking. Peter, the devil has asked if he could take your soul, take everything about you, stick it in a big screen thing and shake it and shake you and remove from you all the bad stuff. Wow. Jesus says that to Peter. Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. And Jesus doesn't say, and I told him he couldn't. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and I've prayed for you. And when you're restored, you're going to come back and you're going to follow me. How scary is that? That's how much authority Jesus has. That's how much he has overcome the world. I have over, take heart, I have overcome the world. So, all through John 14, all through John 15, and now all through John 16, Jesus is driving it into us that he is in us and we are in him. That his life is in us. Paul would say it later in Galatians 2.22, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what Jesus has been talking about. Even to the point of prayer, that we don't have to, we don't have to work ourselves up in fear. We don't have to go talk to Jesus because we can't stand before God. Jesus said, I'm making you clean. You can go directly to the Father just like I do. You can go directly to God and ask Him just like I do. And He wants, He loves you and He wants to answer your prayers. And He wants to help you and He wants to strengthen you. All right, let's pray. Lord, You are so holy and awesome. And we praise You, Father, that You love us so much. We praise you, Father, that you have forgiven all of our sins and that you died on the cross and rose from the dead and sent your Holy Spirit to be your very life inside of us. Lord, I pray that we would grasp this more and more, that we would just give our whole lives to to grasping this and to knowing it and to living it out. 
And we praise you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. That the promises you made to the disciples are promises that you made to every one of us too. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So church, as you go out this week, Jesus wants to live his life in you. He's made it possible. He's made it probable. And uh, God bless you as you look out and watch and see how he does it. Have a good week.